Well, we come to chapter 5 today of the book of Hebrews. We started in chapter 1 and were introduced to the great son, king, and high priest, Jesus. So much better than the angels. And in chapter 2, we're admonished that we need to listen to the Son. We're told that if the Word was spoken through angels and proved steadfast, how much more will the Word spoken through the Son prove steadfast? We're told that this Son is restoring to us what was originally intended. And that was for man, humanity, to be crowned with glory and honor. And that glory and honor that we're to be crowned with is to rule the earth in perfect harmony with all creation, with one another, and with God. And he says in chapter 2, verse 9, But now... We do not see all things put under him. A gross and vast understatement. Harmony is something that is fleeting in this world. But what we do see, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, who became flesh, crowned with glory for the suffering of death. Jesus is restoring all things. And we're invited to participate in the path that he's blazed. He is said to be the captain of our salvation, to bring many sons to glory. He wants to restore us. This is a restoration, however, that can be neglected. So he tells us in chapter 3, the way. If we were to use Herman's great leader's formula of getting things done, there, here, path. There being, I want something here, an analysis, my current condition, I don't have it, and the path being how to get there, which is something that humanity uses. A baby does there, here, path. I'm hungry. Is my here? I want my stomach full. Is my there? So I cry. It's a very human thing to do. It's just a way to express that. If we were to use that here, we would say that there that Paul is putting out for us is to have a restoration of everything we were ever designed to be. Complete harmony, complete fulfillment of purpose, God, man, and nature. That's the there. Something all of us yearn for. The entire creation's groaning for it. The here is, we don't see the happening right now. And the path is the suffering of death that Jesus has already paved. Of course, part of the here is, we don't really like suffering, and we certainly don't like death. So, it's a very difficult proposition to get from here to there. In fact, Paul, I think, is telling us it can't be done. Which is why he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest. For in fact, without the ministry of the Son as high priest, this mission that Paul is presenting to us is really impossible. Last week, we looked at an example of what it looks like to fumble the opportunity. And the children of Israel are given as the example. The there for the children of Israel, was to possess their possession. They were given the land. It was promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. When God promises something, it's going to happen. It was already given. But it was for them to possess the possession, to gain the inheritance through obedience. And this generation fumbled it. Uh, God said, you tried me ten times. Uh, They came to the edge of the wilderness and at Kadesh Barnea had the opportunity to go in and possess the land. 
sent in the 12 spies. They listened to the bad report of the 10 spies. All the spies agreed and said, it's a wonderful land, but the 10 spies said, it's too hard, we can't do it. They listened to that, said, we want to go back to Egypt. And God says, you know, you tried me these 10 times. And you can't go in. I'm done with you. That generation did not possess their possession. They were still taken care of by God. He still fed them. He still owned them as children. But they didn't get the possession. Next week, Mike's going to go through those ten trials with you in some degree of detail. Because I think there's an immense amount we can get out of those ten trials. Because it's just life like we live it. But today, we're going to understand more about this path. Because they were given this there to possess their inheritance. And they were given the means to get there. And the means to get there was an intermediary. They could have asked Moses. They could have prayed to God. They could have stood before the tabernacle in dependence and asked God for help. They didn't. What did they do instead? What was the general thing that they did? Whined. Complained. Made plans to go back to Egypt. Just think about it. They just crossed the wilderness. Could they live in the wilderness without God's miraculous provision? It's impossible. But they had become entitled to God's provision in the wilderness because they were used to it. And when God says, I'm going to give you a new provision for this new era of your life, they said, no, that's not good enough. That's just kind of the way we are as people. We take things for granted, don't even realize the provision that we have. So in verse chapter 4, the author here, Paul says, they didn't enter his rest. And this is just another way to say, finish. Possess the inheritance. Possess your possession. God rested when? The seventh day. Why did he rest on the seventh day? He was finished. So we come to chapter 5. Leading into chapter 5, with uh, chapter 4, verse 11... Well, let's see, let me start with, uh, yeah, with uh, 11. We have a reiteration of chapter 2. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, to finish, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things naked and open to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. Who's the judge that will determine the possession of the possession? The Word. If the Word given to angels proves steadfast, how much more should we heed the Word of the Son? And we see the Word made flesh. That is our agent to possess the possession. And it's also the judge of our hearts. This is how we'll know. Well, how in the world are we going to get from here to there? It's an impossible task. Well, it starts in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son. He's the Son and He's the high priest. The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our word. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help In time of need. And this is the there. I'm sorry, the path. This is how we get there. To boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need. 
Now, again, we'll talk more about this next week, but what we tend to do is everything but. We tend to put in place um, legalism, various kinds of legalism to justify ourselves. We tend to whine and complain, blame. There's all sorts of things that we tend to do. But maturity looks like this, to approach the throne of grace, to find help. So let's look at chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Remember, Paul is talking to his good friends who are all fellow Jews, and they've all grown up while the temple's still in action. And these Jews still, uh, as Paul did as well, participate in the festivals, they participate in the sacraments, they participate in the ordinances, including sacrifice. And the function of the high priest is something that's not theoretical for them, it's something they experience. Verse 2, he, the high priest, the high priest at the temple, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. He knows what it's like. He has to offer sacrifices for himself too. Because of this, he's required, as for the people, so as for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. He has to offer it for himself as well. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who's called by God, just as Aaron was. These guys don't appoint themselves. They were appointed by God. So also, Christ did not glorify or appoint himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, God said to him, You're my son. Today I've begotten you. As he also says in another place, You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Here's Psalm 110 again. Remember, Psalm 110 has this chiasm. Uh, Christ is king. Christ is conqueror. Christ is high priest. Christ is judge. Christ is king. And the the, the core message in Psalm 110 is Jesus is high priest. But he's king and priest. And we're reminded once again, this son, this honor that God has disposed, uh, or sorry, um, uh, conferred on Jesus. Today I've begotten you as a son is an adoption of the great high king to a subordinate king who uh, desires to honor. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Melchizedek, when he ha- I'm sorry, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. The Word is something we need to listen to. The Word from Jesus is something we need to listen to. And Paul's friends have started to get hard of hearing. And what he wants to talk to them about is Jesus as high priest. So before we proceed, let's just stop and look for a minute here. This high priest deal is a really big deal. And what was it that Jesus gained through his obedience? What was it he gained? What do you see there? Look at maybe verse uh, 7, 8, 9. What was it he gained through obedience? Though he was a son. Okay, well, he was appointed as high priest. He was appointed as high priest. He became the source of eternal salvation. And why? What was it that happened first? He was made perfect. Let's look again. We've done this once before, but I want to deepen our, our look. And let's look at this word perfect, which is the Hebrew word. Teleosi, 
I don't, I don't, it's when you have three vowels in a row, I'm not sure how you Teleosi. pronounce What is it? Teleosi. Teleosi, okay. I forget, Wally knows Greek. So we get our word telescope from this, okay? So you look at the telescope and you're looking to do what? See a long ways away, right? So the idea is something at the finish line, com- completed. And I just want to go through and look at the instances of this word in Hebrews. First, let's look at an instance in John 4 that I think uh, is a real clear instance where the word means uh, completion. John 4, verse 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. Uh, So let's start in 33. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to teleosai, his work. Finish. Complete. So let's just look at the instances of this word, or the root of it, in uh, Hebrews. The first instance is in Hebrews 2. Uh, 2 verse 10. For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation complete through sufferings. Same idea. Jesus was perfected through sufferings. Notice he was already a son. Remember, what, what did God say when Jesus was baptized? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He already had the possession. But he possessed the possession through his obedience. We similarly already have treasure laid up in heaven. This inheritance is already endowed to us. It's for us to possess it. Let's look at Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, verse 9, we just read. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. What salvation are we talking about? Do you get salvation from heaven to hell? Salvation from not being born to being born through obedience? Is that how you get that? You don't get that that way, right? You get it purely through faith. You possess the possession and fulfill what was supposed to be, which is to be crowned with glory and honor and to sit at the right hand with Jesus through obedience. And Jesus has plowed that path. Let's look at Hebrews 6, 1. We'll be there in just a second. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Some of your translations might say, Maturity. It's the same idea. Teleosi. Completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. We don't want to talk about those things. We'll get into this more in a minute. What we want to talk about is Melchizedek. Jesus as high priest. Then there's a whole series of Occurrences of this word, teleosi. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, seven, sorry, seven, uh, in a row that basically make the same point. Uh, and it has to do with the old covenant not getting us there. We need the new covenant to get us there. Uh, we'll start with 711. Therefore, if perfection, teleosi, completion, getting to the finish line, were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there, another priest should come. Similar thing in 719. The law made nothing complete, perfected, finished. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God through Melchizedek, the high priest, Jesus. 
7, 28, The law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever, completed, through the suffering of death and obedience. Hebrews 9, 9, These, these uh, uh, tabernacle things were symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service, the earthly, high, the earthly priest, perfect, complete in regard to the conscience. These sacrifices, these things, even our version of it this morning, the communion, doesn't make our conscience complete. Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect, more complete tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. You see that there's a completion that can happen, and it's all through Jesus. It's through His person, it's through His example, following His example, and it's through His sacrifice. 10.1 For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, the mercy seat and the atonement and the forgiveness sacrifices and so forth, that these guys did. And then we're in a time period, the temple's still going. Can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach complete. If you were... You could stop doing it. You don't have to keep going back. But, verse 13, verse 12, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? He was finished. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made a footstool, for by one offering he has teleosi, completed, finished, perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. You see, this perfection is already given. Just like the land was promised to the people through Abraham, and it was an accomplished fact. And yet there was hundreds of years until they actually possessed it. The same is true for us. We're perfected. This glory is just waiting for us. The question is, are we going to possess it? Then a couple other points he makes in Hebrews 11, verse 40. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, where we're going to get not the bad examples of the people who died in the wilderness, but the good examples of people who lived in a way that they believed the promise was true even though they didn't receive it during their lifetime. Verse 39, And these, all these, all these great examples, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise during their lifetime. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made complete apart from us. See, this restoration of creation... This, this bringing back of the sons to rule together in perfect harmony with creation and with God, it's all going to happen together. It's not going to be one at a time. That's part of the harmony. And lastly, chapter 12, where we're looking at the great example of Jesus who ran this great race. He says... We haven't come to Mount, Zion, to Mount Sinai, this little pimple on the earth that was so scary and so fearful that is really ingrained in the Jewish mentality that you're so focused on. That's, a, that's minor league, that's A league. We hadn't come to that. We've come to Mount Zion. And that really ought to get your attention. Why? Because in Mount Zion, we're going to stand before verse 23 the general assembly and church. Church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. This many sons. 
To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made complete. He wants us to enter the rest, to possess the possession. He wants us to finish, to be complete. See, it's all through the book. Well, let's go back to chapter 5 and understand how to be complete. I'm sure all of us, to varying degrees, struggle with being hard of hearing. So what is it that we need to know? Chapter 5, verse 12. For though that by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. Now, let's just step back for a minute here. Uh, Paul's speaking to his very dear friends. At the end of this letter, he says, I hope you'll bear with this brief word of exhortation. He says to them in here, you lost your possessions and were glad because you know you have a more enduring possession in heaven. And yet he's speaking to these guys fairly harshly. In our culture, there are those who would say you should never speak to someone like this. But Paul is not trying to make them feel good about themselves. Paul is not trying to build up their self-esteem in the sense of feeling good about themselves irrespective of their own choices. Paul is trying to help them grow up. And that's true love, is when you tell someone what they really need to hear. He's telling them the here. This is current reality, guys. Herman says current reality is an acquired taste. You need... Some milk again. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. There's this word again. For he who is... For he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you ever want to know what maturity looks like, This is the biblical definition of maturity. When your senses, by reason of use and experience, know how to determine between good and evil. Your children, how do they do at determining between good and evil? What's the standard for good and evil to your little kids? What is it? The parent. The parent, okay. They get it from the parent. Do Do they go by that? Not really. Carl's shaking his head no. What, what is their main standard for what's right and wrong? Me, me, me. Yeah. me, yes, me, me. Okay, what I want right now is the main standard. And I take whatever information I have available to me and justify what I want right now. Isn't that, isn't that the way we work? Well, by reason of use to actually say, no, right and wrong is something God has determined, and I can tell the difference. That's what real personal maturity looks like. So one of the things we have to do if we really want to take the message of this book to heart is we have to have some current reality about ourselves. And we have to listen and say, what of this is is speaking to me? Where am I in this? Where do I see myself? Chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to maturity, perfection, completion. Now, what is it he wants to talk about? What is it that he wants to talk about? He told us back in 5.10 what he wants to talk about. All we're talking about now is an interlude after 5.10. What does he want to talk about in 5.10? Did I give you the wrong verse? He wants to talk about Melchizedek. He wants to talk about Jesus as high priest. And he says, hey, we really need to get this down, guys. Jesus is son. Jesus is high priest. He's he's paved the way. He's, he's, He's 
given us a means to possess our possession. And his office, a high priest, is how we get there. And I want to talk to you about that. And then he suddenly stops and he says, but let me just make a point. You're not listening. I want to talk to you about Melchizedek, but you're not listening. You've become dull of hearing. You ought to be teaching people about Jesus as high priest. But instead, you you need kind of basics, 101. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. So what are the elementary principles of Christ? Let us go on to maturity, perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance towards sin. Uh, Repentance from dead works, sorry. What is repentance from dead works? What category does it go in? Elementary or advanced? Elementary. A faith towards God. What category does faith towards God belong in? Elementary or advanced? Elementary. It's pretty basic, right? You need to believe God. You get, you get, we give that to our Awana kids. Doctrines of baptisms. Okay? What point of your Christian walk do you get baptized? Early or late? It's elementary. Laying on of hands. Church leadership. Gifts. Elementary or advanced? It's elementary. Resurrection of the dead. That's about the most basic thing that you have in Christianity, isn't it? That the belief that we're going to overcome death and be resurrected. Is that advanced or elementary? Elementary. And eternal judgment. We all know that eternal judgment is a certainty in the future. That's elementary. He doesn't want to talk about that anymore. Now, interestingly enough, he's already talked about most of those things, and he's going to talk about most of those things again. But he's not going to be focusing on them. They're going to be part of the conversation about the central thing. And what's the central thing going to be? Melchizedek, the high priest, the high priestly function. That's maturity. Understanding the high priestly function is the maturity. Now, why, why would that be such a big deal? Why would that be such a big deal? Why wouldn't understanding about eternal judgment be a bigger deal? Because we needed to live and to progress. To live and progress. Okay, knowing that you're going to judge, be judged is important, right? But can you get a good report at that judgment without some help? That we can't get that. We can't get a good report at the judgment without some help. Baptism's important because it's a public confession. But does that get us to the finish line? See, this is the power to get us to the finish line. It's Jesus as high priest. And what was it that Jesus did? Go back to 5, verse 7. Here's what Melchizedek did. Jesus, the high priest, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications. So Jesus, is Jesus getting a raw deal during his life? He's had a pretty bad life, as we would say it, right? Okay, so give me some things that Jesus had to suffer. Ridicule, okay? Who was ridiculing him? Not everyone. Who was mainly ridiculing? The fa- yeah, the leaders were the, the guys who had the authority to ridicule were ridiculing him. He was rejected in his hometown and by his family. His brothers were making fun of him. What else? He was betrayed by one of his own guys. Uh, have you ever gone through the Gospels and read them? with the idea in mind that the disciples are the three stooges? You really ought to do that. It's really hilarious if you'll do that. They're constantly... You know, they just, they just don't get it at all. And Jesus is like, 
Have I been with you all this time and you still don't get it? What were you guys talking about on the road? Won't say. They were talking about who's the greatest. And it's just one thing after another. Uh, Peter, Jesus, you've got to stop saying this. You're upsetting people. You're not, this isn't going to happen to you. You're not going to f- die. Get behind me, Satan. You've got the things of men on your heart. I mean, this is right at the end. After they've had three years of basic training. They just don't get it. So he's got stooge disciples, betraying disciples, a rejecting family, an unappreciative audience. I mean, he, he feeds the people in the wilderness and their response is, hey, we like this, let's keep this going. This is a good deal. Moses fed people in, in, in the wilderness. What are you going to do for us? I mean, at every turn, really, it's nothing but frustration. And what he did with that frustration is he offered up prayers and supplications. With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. We know that Jesus prayed to be saved from crucifixion. And yet, when God said, no, that's the way I want you to be saved from death and I'm going to resurrect you. Jesus said what? Not my will. Yours be done. Did he want to go die on the cross? I mean, he would have been a nut if he wanted to die on the cross. And Jesus wasn't a nut. But he did it. And he did it with reliance on his Father. Let's look at... John 5. John chapter 5, verse 19. Let's start in 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath but also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, let's just... Think for a minute, who's saying this? Who's saying this? Jesus. What are a few things Jesus has on his resume at this point of things he's done? Healed the sick. sick. (laughs) Raised the dead. How about before his earthly ministry? Created the world. You know, how would you like that resume? Created the world. Sustain all things. Hold everything up. Author of truth. That's, that's who's saying this. And he who created the world and through whom is all things and for whom is all things and who sustains all things is saying, I can't do anything of myself. Now why is he saying that? What was it he learned in chapter 5? Obedience. Because that's what his father sent him to do. And that was how he was perfected. And that's how he conquered death. So that he could be the author of conquering of death and us overcoming death completely. Not just that we get to live forever and with God, but that we're restored to what our original purpose was. And that's maturity. Now, we're going to deal with one of the most controversial passages in Hebrews that I think you will not have any problem with because of all this foundation that we've done so far. 
So we're going to press on to maturity. We're not going to talk about elementary things, believing in God, repentance, baptism, leadership, eternal judgment. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Jesus Melchizedek, verse 3, chapter 6. And this we will do if... What is this we will do? What is the this we will do? Press on to maturity. Maturity is talking about Melchizedek, Jesus' high priest. This we will do if God permits. Now, why would God not permit you to press on to maturity? It could be because you don't have the elementary principles down. But that wouldn't be God limiting you to press on to maturity. That would be a self-limitation. Why would God not let you press on to maturity? Why did God not let the children of Israel go in and possess the land? What's that? Lack of faith. Why didn't he say you can't go in after the first time they tested him? Uh, well, they accepted the bad report, but that was like number 10. Why didn't he say you can't go in after number 1? Or number 2? Or number 3? Or number four, or number five, or yeah, all these different things that they did. Why, why didn't he let them? Yeah, but he, they disobeyed ten times before he finally said, okay, that's it. Well, we don't know. He didn't say why he waited ten times. He just said, that's it. And that's the point he's going to make here. Okay? What was the big point he made about the time to repent in chapter four? When's the time to repent? Today. Yeah, he said it over and over again, right? Today is the day. Why is today the day? You might not get another chance. That's the way this works. Now, we're talking about going on to maturity, possessing the possession now. You can't decide, I'll just do that whenever I feel like it. Okay? That's not what we're allowed to do. When the time comes... That's the time you have. You may be given another opportunity, you may not. 4, chapter 6, verse 4. It's impossible for those who once were enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. This word partakers is companions, partners. So this is, this is, this is people that are uh, walking in the Spirit have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. So they got the elementary principles down. If they fall away... Now remember in chapter 2 he says, do not drift away. That's the, that's the whole warning of this whole passage. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. And then he gives an example. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it's cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. So you've got a garden plot, two garden plots. One garden plot, you go out and you plow it and you plant seeds, and it grows vegetables. What do you feel about that garden plot? Happy, right? Why do you like that garden plot? It's useful. The other garden plot, you go out and you plant seeds, and you go out and it's full of grass burrs and cuckleburrs. What do you feel about that plot? Got to start over again, right? Just burn it. Why would you burn it? You got to get rid of all those stickers and everything so you can start over and make it useful. Near to being cursed. This is the same pictures in 1 Corinthians 3. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards for deeds done in the flesh, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 3, we bring our works, and some are wood, hay, and stubble. What happens to the wood, hay, and stubble? It's burned. Some will escape, though, as through fire, it says there. And then he goes on. This is interesting. He says, but beloved... We're confident of better things concerning you. I think you still have a chance to repent. Yes, things accompanying salvation. Which salvation is he talking about? These people already have an enduring possession in heaven. These people are already companions in the Holy Spirit. These people are doing good works. 
These people lost their possessions and were glad. What salvation are we talking about? The same salvation we were talking about in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. The salvation from the loss of this destiny that we were originally intended for. To ascend to the throne with Christ and reign with Him. To be restored in our humanity to the possession of the inheritance. That's our inheritance. It's not something small and trivial. It's not a crown that you get out of Cracker Jacks that you throw at His feet. That's just a symbol. What we're really talking about is a function of ruling the new earth. Not so we can be tyrants, but because we're servants and we're making the earth prosperous and happy. Why why does he think that? Verse 10, For God's not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister? You've done a lot of great things. And I think God's going to give you a lot of leeway. But when do I want you to respond to this? Today. (laughs) Why? I love you guys. I don't want your hard hearing to cost you your possession. Don't be like the people in the wilderness. Sure, God took care of them. But sure, sure they had like, you know, Scottsdale retirement life. Living in the desert. Having your food provided for you. Having your clothes provided for you. But they didn't get the possession of the land. They lost out on something awesome. Don't lose out. Verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. I don't know how many different ways he comes up with finish, endure, enter his rest, tell Yasa, be completed, be matured. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I want you to inherit the promises. You inherit the promises through obedience. So Jesus is our example. He's the high priest. When He was on earth, He depended completely on His Father. He walked in total dependence. And that was what gained Him His inheritance. And He now serves as a function to help us in anything we need. Our tendency, though, is to seek help elsewhere. We tend to seek help through circumstances. All of us want comfort. We're humans. We can't help it. Jesus wants us to seek comfort from the Holy Spirit and from one another. We tend to want to seek comfort through circumstances. Are you letting circumstances and comfort in circumstances be a priority to something you know God wants you to do? We're going to go in subsequent chapters here and we're going to talk a lot about religious duty. Uh, His friends are devout Jews and they're doing all kinds of great religious things. Sacrifice and all this stuff. Are you doing those things to, as a means of approaching the thrones of grace to find help in time of need? Or are you doing those things as a way of self-justifying? These hard-of-hearing folks that Paul loves so much that he's trying to get back on the straight and narrow, they were relying on these religious observance things to justify themselves. And you know that. We know that. What doesn't work. What we want to do is have our conscience cleared by going before the throne of grace. It's a matter of the heart. The key thing for immaturity is self-reliance. Children don't know the difference between good and evil because good and evil because they use themselves as a reference. 
we, to the extent we rely on ourselves, are at risk of not getting to this great inheritance. And it kind of makes logical sense. If you're God and you're going to turn over the reigning of the universe in part to a knucklehead like me, do you want somebody that will ask for help and listen? Or somebody that just hauls off and does stuff he thinks is right? I tell you, we hire a lot of young engineers at work. And if we have an engineer that won't ask for help when he, when he gets into something he doesn't know about, we, we don't have much use for that person. <clears throat> what we mainly want is someone who knows what they know and knows what they don't know. And which one's the bigger subset? It's a challenging message. It's one that we need to hear on a constant basis. I am challenged by this every time I come to it because I'm still a little kid at heart and I tend to focus everything on me. And what I get from Hebrews is a good kick in the pants, which is something that I dearly need because I'm a child. I hope you'll join me in getting kicked in the pants and getting some godly fear because I hope all of us possess this possession. God, thank you for your wonderful uh, your wonderful ministry of being a high priest that you went through a way worse than anything we are ever going to go through and never failed. But you know what it's like. Help us, Lord, learn maturity and learn to depend on you. Learn what it's like to ask you for wisdom to see circumstances as a blessing for us instead of whining that we want circumstances to be a certain way. God, help us learn to be a minister to other people like you are to us. And help us see this word that you're giving us and not set it aside but heed it. This same word that's going to judge us, Lord, help it enlighten us so that we may have maturity to both know the difference between good and evil and to know how to approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need and follow your example. In Jesus' name, amen.